Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. Now, here on the podcast, we talk naturally about caregiving and by extension aging. We share stories and resources, but what do we actually know about aging? It's like it's a big deal. What's the science behind getting older? Is there a science? And what are we learning that can help us age gracefully? Or even that can help us age? Today, we've invited Wendy Foxgrage, um, who has a master's. She has a master's in gerontology. So she's a gerontologist and senior strategic policy advisor with ARP's Public Policy Institute. Um, She's here today to talk about gerontology and the science of aging. Wendy, this is your second time of our, in our, on our podcast. It, Welcome back. It is. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. All right. So, all right, let's talk about this. Um, what is gerontology? It is the study of aging. Okay, the study, <laughs> like there are actually people who study yeah, aging out Believe there. it or not, there were, we're a rare breed, but yes, we, there, there are those of us out there that did that. Yeah, and believe it or not, I knew even at a young age, I even wanted to be a gerontologist. Okay, that's incredible. Yeah. Like what, you're like six years old or 12, you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study older people in aging. I was a little bit older. I was in college, so I, uh, I was, I, well... I was very, very close to both of my grandmothers. Okay. Um, so we'll start that way. And I think a lot of people who go into gerontology, it does start with. Uh, so many people I've spoken to have that commonality that they were very close to their grandparents growing up. I also knew that we would be having the age wave, right? I knew that our, our society would be aging, and I knew that this was a field I wanted to go into. So when I was at Northwestern uh, University, I got my bachelor's degree in um, human development and social policy, and I concentrated in the latter years. And then I did all kinds of research on grad schools, knowing I wanted to go to grad school in gerontology. And I went to the University of Southern California. They have the Andrus Gerontology Program. It's named after Ethel Percy Andrus, who started AARP. Um, and I got my master's degree in gerontology. This was back in the 80s, and I was worried back then. Gerontology was kind of a newish field, and I wasn't sure if people, uh, if it was widely accepted at the time. So I went ahead, and while I was there, I got a second master's degree just to cover all bases, make sure I was okay. Uh, that, so I got my master's in public administration, again, concentrating in public policy, and I'm happy to say I have not used that degree. I have been a proud gerontologist and used my gerontology degree all the way throughout my career. All right. So before we started this podcast, sure. we chatted for a few moments. I'm like, oh, you're a gerontologist. You must be a doctor, like a medical exactly, doctor. And you're yeah. like, no, 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 no. Right. The gerontologists yeah. <laughs> out there were not medical doctors. Right, right. So we have geriatricians. Those are medical doctors. Ah, geriatricians okay. and a gerontologist um, works in the aging field, but is not a, a medical doctor. My parents probably would have loved for me to have been a medical doctor. Okay. But oh well. <laughs> All right. So folks, hear me out there because we've had doctors that are called geriatricians. Yes. And a gerontologist is someone who studies aging from a public policy or program standpoint. So that's another really good question. There's a lot of different fields that are that have gerontologists. So my field is in public policy. Um, my a dear friend who I work with very closely work. She's a social worker, but with the 
within the field of gerontology. That was her concentration. We have nurses who have that specialty as well. So it really can cut across a wide variety of sectors. Whoa, okay. Yeah. I didn't even know. So like, is, is ARP like the prime employer of gerontologists? Like, is it like a whole bunch of you guys working for ARP? Well, this is even funny. Um, there are some of us, obviously, but actually in my department, which is the Public Policy Institute, it's basically the think tank for AARP. We do lots of research and lots of obviously public policy. People come from a wide variety of backgrounds. We have attorneys, we have economists who uh, study the and and really understand the what people's wealth and financial resources and pensions and all of those kinds of great things that I know nothing about. Um, you have people like me. Uh, you've got urban planners even who. Um, have an interest in housing and transportation and land use and how that affects older people, how our communities, whether they're prepared kind of for the aging of our society. So no, we cut across a number of different uh, fields. So what does a gerontologist like you do? Mm-hmm. Like, what, like sure. you get up in the morning, you start thinking, oh, people are aging, we need to do something about this? That's it. Yep, you've got, you've dialed my number. So um, what I do is um, I... Um, and, and I can back up. We'll talk about my current job, and I can talk about some other job, other employers where I've worked as well, because it's not just the ARP that em- employs people. Um, so I um, am very involved in following, in particular, long-term services and supports for older people, for people with disabilities, for family caregivers. And we, in our last podcast, we talked quite a bit about that. Um, and so we do a number of different research studies um, to really look into these issues. I, um, I am constantly reading state laws um, in our country. We don't have one long-term care system. And as a result, it's different than health, like health insurance, right, and health care. In long-term care, we don't have that. And so it really falls to very much the states, right, to to. Um, develop all kinds of um, laws and regulations in this in the field of um, in the field of long-term services and support. So, I spend a lot of time um, looking at state laws, state regulations, budget numbers, and really trying to understand and write these reports and have meetings and meeting with kind of our government affairs people to try to figure this out and to try to really move the needle so that we can serve really more people in their own homes and communities, which is where they want to live. All right, so you devote your life to gerontology. Like, do you get up in the morning, you're like, oh, I know how this is going to go down when I get old. I'm depressed about it. <laughs> or you're like, oh, no, there's some hope out there. You know, some people are thinking about this. Like, where, where do we stand right, right. right now? Uh, it depends on the day. Oh, it depends on the day. All right, <laughs> well, tell us. Well, yeah, sometimes it's one or sometimes it's the other. Sometimes I go, oh, my goodness, are we... Are we we, in fact, we have this report called the Long-Term Services and Support State Scorecard, where we rank all the different states. We look at 25 different indicators, and we rank them from number one, which is Washington State, all the way down to Indiana. And, um, you know, some days I, I feel like, okay, we're, we're moving the needle a little bit. It's, it's incremental change. It's slow change. Public policy is all. It's not for the 
for the weary. It's, 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 it's very slow incremental change in this field. And sometimes I feel great about it. And sometimes I'm like, I cannot believe we are still working on and discussing the exact same things. We're not moving fast enough. And so it depends what day you catch me on, if it's a day of optimism or a day of pessimism. Okay. And then you say you get the master's degree, right? You're like, yeah. oh, your parents are worried. She's <laughs> never going to get a proper yeah, job. Yeah. And you're, you're like, oh, no, I do. Um, do we need more gerontologists? Like, is there a market for it? We do. We need them in Across the board, we and in fact, let me just even talk about, um, you know, we were talking about family caregivers. In this country, we really need more personal care aides that can come into the home and help people. We have a horrible shortage in this country. There are lots of reasons for that. And that's a, that is not a profession where you need a master's degree. Um, it, it's not at all. Um, and. There's a lot of reasons why we're having these shortages in this field, and I can kind of take you through it, but it's it's not just people in, in my side of, of gerontology, but it really is across the board. We could use more doctors that have training in geriatrics and nurses in geriatrics and social workers, but back to direct care workers um, that can really provide some of this very hands-on personal care, you know, um, bathing, dressing, um, uh, uh, feeding, that type of thing. Um, you know, in this country, we just don't, pay, those are, those are lower paying jobs. So the, the pay's not great. The benefits are, are, are severely lacking benefits in terms of any kind of health insurance benefits, days off, vacation, leave. Um, and then it's just really, really hard work. So I think we've got a huge, huge need, um, across the board. Okay, so I'm hearing that there's a, a need across the board for people who are going to be there and provide like this 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 fabric that we need, yes. this network to support you know an an, an aging population. Right. Now, as a gerontologist, have are there some people who who, who deal with that? You said there's some policy changes. Are there like um, are gerontologists working in other fields? Like I don't sure. know. Like, do retirement homes have gerontologists? Do uh, they may or they may not, right? Okay. So um, those are all really, really good questions. Um, there, there is a whole net. If we'll back off from the gerontology, it, it, the actual training, and we'll just talk a little bit about the aging network mm -hmm. because I think that's what you're asking here, which is really important. And there is an aging network, um, so we can we can start at kind of the top and go all the way down if you want. I mean, we've got federal agencies um, that work on this. So, you, know, you know, we have the U.S. Administration for Community Living, which it used to be called um, the the um, uh, the, the Administration for Aging, um, and we've got, you know, the U.S. Centers for Me Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, every single state has an aging and disability state agency, and that's an amazing resource. And then in the, at the local level, at the county level, we have what are called area agencies on aging, you do in Houston, right. um, or sometimes in other areas, they're called um, aging and disability resource centers, and those are amazing resources for people who are looking to figure out what services are out there in the community that they can access. And then we do, we've got some amazing, and in Houston, too, just amazing, amazing providers out there of, of um, doctors, nurses, social workers. We just need more of them, right? And with the aging of our society, we're going to need more and more. We already have a shortage as it is, and we're predicting, if you look at just the 
oldest old population, which is the age 85 and older population, they are going to triple, triple in number from the year 2015 to 2050. And that's going to have enormous implications acro across the board um, for, for getting the, the types of care, the self-care that they'll need. So it's really, it's due to demographics. I mean, people are living longer. We had the, you know, the baby boomers generation. All of this is hitting at once. Yeah, and, and we'll really see this like in, in, uh, in the 2030s. That's really when the baby boomers are going to be hitting, you know, that age 85. And that's the group that is most likely to need long-term services and supports. So that's so really yes. right around the corner. It's like yeah. 12 years from yeah. now. It's like, yep. ooh. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so you helping prepare for all of that as, as much as you can. As I much guess. as we can. You and a number right. of people. Right. Right. Okay. So if if anybody wanted to become a gerontologist, like what, what does it take? Like you need to like older people. I mean, it seems That's... to have been something that that was at the core of you. I think it has to be at the core, uh, don't you? I mean, I think that you. You, you do this because you care for people, right. right? And then you go and you get the training that you need, um, whether it's in public policy or whether it's in direct care. Okay. Yeah. Are there areas of gerontology that have, like, that have a particularly acute need for people? Um, yeah, I, I'm most concerned with just providing the hands-on care that people do need okay. in the home. So really the rank and file. That's yeah, really yeah. what we need a lot of. I do think so, right. And then helping move the, the needle. Uh, right, right. Okay. And I do think, you know, looking forward, because, you know, are we ever really going to have enough people in this field to meet the need. One of the things I think we need to start looking at is, or not start looking at, I think one of the bright rays of hope is, is that I think technolo technology mm -hmm. might be able to help with some of this too. You know, everybody's having a smart family caregivers and smartphones and things like that. So I think that might be able to alleviate some of it. I'd love to see more telehealth. Why is it that we always have to go to the doctor, into the doctor's office? Can we do more of it remotely so a person does not have to leave their home? And so I think there's some pretty exciting developments. We're just not quite there where it's the norm. So have you seen an evolution? Uh, you know, you've been in the field for how long now? Oh, gosh. Oh, it's been years. Years, years. and years. Okay, yeah. years and years. Years and years and years. Since, yeah, since the, since since the late the 80s. 80s. Okay, that's what you mentioned. Have yeah. you seen an evolution in the, an awareness of, of the type of issue that affect older people? Or is it still something that a majority of the population say, oh, it never happened to me. I'm never going to get old. This is not my problem. Or, or, or have you seen something, a change? I, I think it is evolving. I really do. Um, you know, people weren't really talking about family caregivers, you know. Uh, I would say even 10 years ago, they weren't talking about family caregivers. And now that's what we all talk about because we're, we're it, it's, it's, a, um, it's such a way of life, right? I mean, um, uh, so I do think it has, I do think we are seeing change. It's just not changing fast enough. Like our systems are not changing fast enough. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen some glimmers of hope here and there? Um, I have. I have. Um, um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think in my head, you know, what is the most exciting thing, you know, that I'm seeing happening. But I do think, I think there's more of an awareness okay. now. Okay. Um, so a young person who wants to become a gerontologist, like, what do you say to them? Like, do, are people even aware that that's a career, you think? 
I hope so. I hope they do. <laughs> I don't know if it's the norm, but if somebody who said they want to do it, I would say, oh, yeah, you know, celebration, yeah. And that I would, um, you know, tell them a little bit about, you know, how I went about it, if that if they find if they would find that useful. It's also a lot easier now because things are, are online, you know. Right. And that's different than when I first went to school where you had to get the big books to figure out, okay, what's, you know, you checked them out from the library, right, about all the different programs. And now information is so much more accessible. And I think that's also a huge difference, too, is just the how, how you can get information out there. And, okay. and, and and really on uh, people's fingertips, that's really changed in the, and not just in the field of gerontology, but really uh, across so many so many fields, just our, our ability to reach people and and, and, and the remarkable um, the remarkable communications that we now have online, social media, etc. Okay. Now it's cutting, trying to cut through all of that, right? Because now we got all this noise. Right. <laughs> so tell us of like the top three things that you're working on at ARP that get you going in the morning. Sure. So um, I am right now, I have been working for the last half a year on a book called Across the States, Profiles of Long-Term Services and Supports. It's a reference book on long-term care. It has tens of thousands of numbers about long-term services and supports in every single state. And we're gonna be releasing that at the end of this month. Okay. Um, and I've, I think it, the, what I'm thrilled about is, is it's our longest running publication from my department. We've been publishing this book for 24 years. So we're about to come up with the newest issue. And I hope that this will give policymakers in every single state and administrators of these programs information they need to make their programs better. Um, so everybody will be able to get that it's it's a free online resource it's at www.aarp.org slash across the states okay this is the one the one you were telling us about ranking the states too that's a different different? one so it's a little bit different so that one is called and again that is also a data book that actually ranks the states saying this state's number one this was 50 that's a great resource too that's called the Long-Term Services and Supports State Scorecard, and that can be found at longtermscorecard.org. Okay, I got to ask, where is Texas? One to 50? Okay. Ballpark, a, give us the ballpark. Uh, oh. Uh, you're, uh, you're, not, you're not in the top. <laughs> We're not in the top. Are, are, we, are we like upper middle? No, not so good. Okay, we're not. we're gonna let that be. Tell us about the third thing, like you're working on. So you tell us, like, yeah. Uh, so we have those two, right? Okay, right, right. Tell us another exciting thing you're working on. Okay, the other thing that we're working on, and this is this goes for Texas and in Houston. So we have a number of different within uh, the Medicaid program, which is actually our biggest public payer for long-term services and supports. More and more states are becoming a little bit more like Texas, and that they're moving to managed care. Managed care to serve these populations. Right. And so managed care companies have typically been involved in the healthcare area. It's relatively new. I know in Texas they were an early adopter of this. It's not so new. Not It's not new in Texas, in Houston, but across the country, relatively new. And so we've been working with health, health plans, um, with, with state policymakers, and really making sure that um, because they're in such an amazing um, role where they can help family caregivers by providing a variety of, of supports, such as respite care, which is so important, um, 
asking the family member, family caregiver what they need, so assessing them for their own needs, and then providing supports and services if they need that. So I think that's another kind of exciting area Wait, well, so what is this program then? What? Okay, so within the Medicaid program, right? there are more and more, um, across the states, there are more and more programs that are moving to manage care, well, a plan, right? Okay, we'll, yeah, uh, yeah. Health plan will provide services and supports. We're working with the plans and we're working with some of the administrators of these Medicaid programs to make sure there are more supports for family caregivers. Okay. Which is really different for a healthcare plan because healthcare plans have been involved in the medical. Care. In the medical, so but not really in everything different. else. Yeah, yeah. I see. So it's okay. been an exciting, exciting thing. I'm so that's really to prevent, to, to like give expanding benefits to folks. Yes, and to make sure that we're supporting our family caregivers so they can keep doing what they're doing. And so you're seeing some movement there. I am seeing it's early, early stages. I would right. say it's kind of um, an emerging field, but I think uh, there's excitement. Okay. So, um, Wendy, we, we, we're about done with our podcast. This is about all the time we have today. If there were one more thing you would want people to take away today about gerontology, what would that be? Come and join us. Come and join you, all right? Get a master's degree in gerontology, right? We need you, and it doesn't even have to be a master's degree. It could be a certificate. It could be training. It could be anything to help us in in better serving um, seniors and people with disabilities. We need more people in the field of aging. Yes. Okay. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for coming back today. Thank you for giving us your time. This was fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, As always, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast. You can find us at iTunes, SoundCloud, or at www.arp.org slash HoustonPTC. Take our Prepare to Care podcast survey, help us improve future episodes, and find other caregiving planning and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening, and as always, 